You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, perfectly positive, peppy podcast patrons. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 27, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we're your boodle of booming, bookish, and boogieing boosters. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Colin. I'm Dana. I'm Chris. And uh, last week, we had a very special half-birthday listener challenge. It was a little bit harder than usual. And here's uh, the puzzle I read last episode. Hello, hello, where are you if you're dialing only the blue? from Irving Morrow's Baby's Hue. The answer I was looking for is the UK. Can Bre- I say why? Break it down for us. Can I say why? Because I, I solved it. You did solve it. I did solve it. Tell us your process. So Irving Morrow's Baby is, of course, the Golden Gate Bridge. He yes. designed. He was the designer of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, which is, of course, uh, some sort of orangey-reddish color. So I looked up the actual color, which I forget what it was. What is International it? Orange. International yeah, very orange. famous. It International specific orange. Color, and again, right. when you have a specific color, I then realized that all colors have numbers, you know, basically. So you can express a color in terms of how much red how much green how much blue all go together to make that color so i look up international orange and find the red green and blue values and blue the value for blue is 44 correct it and of course 44 is then the international dialing code for the united kingdom correct you're dialing the blue from that color of irving morrow's baby you're dialing 44 which means you're calling the united kingdom Thanks to all the people who wrote in, and we've contacted the winners, and hopefully you guys enjoy your prize. Yay! And this episode is brought to you by Bonobos, sharp and smart menswear for the fellas. And uh, so actually, what I have here are a few questions straight from the people who work at Bonobos. Ah. Ooh. Let's see if they can stump you guys and you folks who are listening here. So let's do this. Pop quiz, hot shot. Bonobos versus brains. Okay. These questions are from the employees and also inspired by their interest in in bonobos as well. All right. Here we go. What are the three types of balls used in the grand game of Quidditch? Uh Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, I believe those are the the bludgers, Uh the quaffles. And the snitch. Ding, 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 ding. All I yes. knew was snitch. That was the only one that I knew. <laughs> I almost said the beaters, but those are the people who beat the bludgers. So there are two bludgers, yes. uh, one quaffle, quaffle, and one snitch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this actually comes up in pub trivia a lot. Quidditch questions. I don't know why. Yeah, like Pub quizzes do. love because Quidditch questions. Yeah. Very British. And I am so bad at Harry Potter trivia. Oh. You got to read those books. I do. There are three types of balls, right. but there are four balls because there are two bludgers. Ah. Yes. Okay. And of course, Quidditch is the sports ball game played in the Harry Potter universe. And actually, people have modified it for normal humans. So right, you can yes. actually play normal human right, muggle right, right. You don't need a flying mm-hmm. broom? <laughs> and by normal human, you mean nerds. Nerds. <laughs> nerds. Well, for us, the nerdiest kind of nerds. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, number two. Fauntleroy is the middle name of what famous cartoon character? <laughs> oh. 
This is uh, Donald Duck. Yes, right? Yep. (laughs) Which is also a question Uh, we had in pub trivia before, and I will never forget this. That is the only reason I know it is from having once gotten it wrong in pub quiz. Yep. Donald Fauntleroy Duck. It's an excellent middle name. It is. And actually, do you guys know what Fauntleroy refers to? Little Lord Little Font- Lord Fauntleroy, Lord, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and well, also, relatedly, refers to the style of the sailor suit. Oh, that kind of okay. Lord right. Fauntleroy, ah, Donald Duck sailor well, suit. Well, that makes more sense. It's a good uh, mock swear word to use around children. If you stub your tongue. <laughs> oh, like, oh, Fauntleroy! <laughs> <laughs> Number three, remember Chris's quiz on literal translation of Japanese words, right. uh, anglicized yeah. words, right. a couple of episodes ago? What common word literally translate to place of the way? Place of the way. Chris. It, dojo? Correct. Oh. Dojo. Oh. So uh, I had a slight advantage. Do uh, is the way, and yes. Joe is the place. And dojo is what actually uh, Bonobos calls their office. Oh. The dojo. Okay. Right. Bonobo dojo. Bonobo dojo. Bonobo dojo. <laughs> oh. Okay, number four. So some of the Bonobos peeps are big sports fans, and so is our own Colin Felton. Uh, and their office is in New York City. Why are the New York Knicks called Knicks? Dana! Knickerbockers? Yes! Yes. Knickerbocker. The name comes from it comes from the pseudonym used by Washington Irving in his book A History of New York. That was his fake name was Knickerbocker. The name Knickerbocker actually is what you use to call descendants of the original like Mm. Dutch settlers who came to Mm. New York. But then Knickerbocker then became just like kind of New Yorkers in general, and hence official title is New York Knickerbockers. Good job! And that is our Bonobos versus Braid. Pretty good. Was Not it? bad. I would say we scored well. That was well. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a good quiz, you guys. Still challenging, too. Yeah. And don't forget, new customers and Good Job Brain listeners can get 20% off by using the code SMARTYPANTS over at bonobos.com. And here we go. This week's topic is Colin's suggestion. <laughs> yes. He's wanted to do this for a while. I was pushing for transportation as a topic. I like my car. It's a really good car. I got it at the farmer's market from the person who made it. Maybe someday I'll paint it. Lots of colors that I like. For now, I'll put it in my basket and go for a ride. And I have to say, it was specifically because I wanted to talk about old-timey bikes. Yes! Yeah. Mm. Because we all know, when we think of like those old-timey bicycles, you see those ridiculous ones where like the wheel is super big? Right, it's right. It's like a giant wheel and a little tiny wheel. It's the one of those farthings. things... Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it is it's one of those things that I think we know more from parody than the actual historical use. Please tell us why. Well, Burning as, question. As Dana just said. So if I were to ask you what those... what The old-timey bike, giant wheel in front, the tiny wheel in back, if I were to ask you what those were called, Dana just said it. Penny farthing. A penny farthing. Sounds like, and, a, sounds like a bad word. So I... I, I, I no, think that's all, what you say. Penny farthing. Oh, penny farthing. Yeah, with old-timey ways. 
<laughs> yeah, the Penny Farthing is the name that I had heard, and uh, but I did learn interestingly uh, that that name really only came into play pretty late in the history of that that bike, what we call the old timey bike, and it makes so much sense now. Do you know why it was called a Penny Farthing? It comes from if you were to put a penny and a farthing coins side oh. by side, it's a big one and a little one. Okay, and a farthing being yeah. a, a fourth, a quarter of a penny, right? So that's that's really where the name comes oh, from. Pennies were the big one, and that the penny was the big one. Yes, that's right, and the farthing, right? Because this is long. An even this was long coin. ago enough. Yes, that yeah. we actually needed a unit smaller than a Man, penny. Right, you would right, lose right. your penny. I would lose my farthing. <laughs> yeah, that is not a name that aficionados would call that kind of bike. Oh, so, so someone uh, even at the time or someone today, most aficionados of the old timey bike, they call them <laughs> Biggie Smalls. It's called. <laughs> Yeah. It's called an ordinary bike uh, or okay. a high wheel bike. <laughs> and like high, that. high wheel is, seems pretty straightforward. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but the reason it was called an ordinary bike was to contrast it with what is called a safety bike. And a safety bike is really our modern bike. What we think of, of the two wheels, same size, you sit in the middle. Yeah. Uh, that's what was originally called a safety bike. And so we'll come back to this in just a second. So okay. I want to. I'm still confused. I yes. still don't know why. Why is it safety? Why yeah. is it ordinary? Why is the so, wheel so big? Before they were called bikes, the, the whole class of two wheel vehicles was velocipede. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not to be confused with velociraptor. Not yeah. to be confused right, right, right. with velociraptor. Velociraptor riding a velocipede. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get on it, internet. But so I mean, this is a very 1800s type of uh, naming, of course. Uh, yes. And in Steam fact, punk. this is when this takes to is uh, <laughs> in 1817 or 18 there around Carl Drace uh, invented what became called the Dracene or the Dandy Horse and <laughs> what it was horse. was Wait, a I... plank with two wheels so imagine a bicycle like a modern bicycle yeah. but no pedals a hobby horse you kick it along with your feet <laughs> you kick it along with your Remember feet this. that's right yeah. and so this was you know as I say 1818 thereabouts and this was a way of just kind of cruising around town <laughs> yep. that, this was for kids no this no. was not for this kids this is for this actual grown ups the reason it was just... called a Dandy Horse <laughs> yeah. was, be, was because you would be you look like was a for, total sissy. This was for men, of, this was for men with yeah. money to spend and leisure oh, yeah. time to spend sort of right. wheeling around. And I just imagine like a town. two by four and two wheels. That's, that's not far be, from what it was. Yeah. That's really and not far from what it was. Along with your feet. Yeah, oh, that's there, right. there are bikes like that for little kids. So that was really the the original Velocipede was the, the, the Dracene or the dandy horse, the hobby horse. <laughs> and so it took about 40 years almost for them to to really think, hey, you know, we could, <laughs> we we could add so some pedals. We could add some pedals to this thing. Kind of evolved into what they called the bone shaker. And it was called the bone shaker because, you know, imagine these are all solid wood or or solid metal. And you're riding on cobblestone streets and rutted roads. It was not a smooth ride. But so this was really the first Velocipede that had uh, pedals on it. And But now they were a little bit different from what we would think of. They were connected to the front wheel. Mm -hmm. So you were direct drive. There were no chains. There were no gears. You were direct drive your feet. Oh, oh, right oh, under oh. the front wheel. So the wheels were roughly the same size, and you would drive the front wheel with with your feet. Uh, and this was a huge step forward, you know. And this is when bicycles were really starting to take off, or velocipedes were really starting to take off. So as they had pedals, they realized, you know, in pretty short order that the bigger you made the wheel, the easier it was to pedal. The more or, distance you could yes. cover in a single revolution, yes, because it was right. directly connected. That's right. There were no chains, oh, no gears. Okay. So it's a big wheel. So over the next, you know, ten, fifteen yes. years the 
the wheels got steadily bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And really the limit was how long your legs were. This was the first time they were called bicycles was the high wheel or the penny farthing was this was the first time they actually coined the term bicycle. Yeah, you could you could cover a lot more ground with each rotation. Mm-hmm. But the other reason the wheel was so big was, again, keep in mind, these are on cobblestone streets. Mm-hmm. The wheels are solid rubber or wood. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you might have some springs on the saddle, but it makes it a smoother ride. The bigger the mm-hmm. wheel is, the smoother the ride, the rougher the terrain that you can ride over. And, you know, this was like the, the front edge of the technology at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, the just bleeding edge <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, ble- yeah really I mean moving just from wood or metal wheels to having oh, solid rubber was, yeah. was a big yeah so Ow. this is 1870s yeah. into the 1880s which was really the heyday of bicycling I mean in Paris and in London and in mm-hmm. the US as well I mean it was just absolute a craze but again it was mostly a craze for well to do men because they were very expensive and it was really seen as kind of a gentleman's pursuit I mean you know the ladies had the big billowy dresses and it just just was not seen as a very ladylike thing to do at the time. So as we move into the 1890s was really when they started having advancements in the safety of these bikes. Now, imagine you're sitting above this giant wheel, okay, and you're going downhill. Mm-hmm. Now, oh the most God. obvious problem that you can think of is if you hit a little rock, you're sitting directly over the center of gravity yeah. and you're, you're going to pitch forward. You're dead. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the phrase to take a header huh. comes from the high wheel bike riding days because it was very <laughs> Yeah. It was extremely common. That was the number one hazard was you hit a little bump and there's nothing to stop you from pitching forward. So they were trying to have a lot of developments in making them safer. They eventually tried putting the small wheel in front as one idea, but the, the, the most <laughs> obvious idea that caught on was sort of moving the center of gravity between the two wheels. And yeah. now this happened right around the same time as they'd started developing the chains and gears. So you could have an offset pedaling mechanism that meant you could actually sit between the two wheels. The modern bike was a safety bike because you could ride it safely. You weren't going to pitch forward and crack your skull open or pitch off the back and, you know, (laughs) break your spine. The more I read, I didn't realize how closely with women's liberation the bicycle is is associated. Oh, really? So, you know, it's it's really hard to overstate how big a craze bicycling was in the 1880s and 1890s, and especially in America. It necessitated more functional, practical clothing for women to ride bikes. And Mm -hmm. a lot of historians really, really do say that credited the bike bi- with- bicycling oh. is, is a big part of moving away from the crazy flowing billowing dresses <laughs> and getting to clothes that you could actually wear on a bike I came across a very interesting quote here, and I'll close out with this just to give it some real gravity here. This is a quote from Susan B. Anthony in 1896. I think bicycling has done more to emancipate women than anything else in the world. Huh. It gives women a feeling of freedom and self-reliance. And she goes on to talk about how she cheers when she would see women out taking the wheel, as she said. That Aww. is fascinating. That yeah. is yeah. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The history of the old timey bike. Not <laughs> <Not> your horse. <laughs> <laughs> The Velociraptor. <laughs> what is it called? The Velocipede. The Velocipede. You know, on the Flintstones, it might have been the Velociraptor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought of a, a much better and much more important form of transportation uh, that I wanted to talk about, which is, of course, 
um, the Hogwarts Express. Yay! <laughs> so, as okay, a little recap for people who are not Harry Potter fans. The the joke in the beginning of the first Harry Potter is that to get to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, he has to ride the Hogwarts Express train out of King's Cross Station in London, and he gets there by going into Platform Nine and Three Quarters. So, of course, he's like, "Well, where's Platform Nine and Three Quarters?" And then you know, there's no Platform Nine and Three Quarters. You know, and so of course, you know, to get to Platform Nine and Three Quarters, you walk through uh, a, a seemingly brick wall that's on the platform between uh, line 9 and line 10. Um, of course. So J.K. Rowling, author of Harry Potter, actually screwed up when she was writing this whole scene because she misremembered that uh, the, the layout of King's Cross Station. There, in oh. fact, is no platform between line 9 and line 10. 9 and 10 are adjacent rail lines that are next to each other and so there's nothing in between them now of course king's cross station when harry potter mania was hitting around the time of the first movie we're, we're just sort of like what can we do here <laughs> so they put up a sign somewhere in the station that says platform nine and three quarters la-di-da well unfortunately the place they put it up was like it was so highly trafficked that it was just Filled with tourists and gawkers scaring pictures, getting all pictures day underneath the sign, <laughs> while like actual British people who like actually had to go to their non-magical workplaces were like, "Get out of my way!" Like I just missed my real train because you're a dumb fake train. Uh, so they've moved it around several times, and now it's actually um, in the building that contains platforms nine and ten. They've put up a sign that says "Platform nine and three quarters," and they've taken a trolley cart and cut it in half and then <laughs> right. glued the half of it to the mm. wall so that you can actually go to King's Cross Good Station now. Up. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. And so you go to King's Cross Station in London and there's a platform nine and three quarters and you can pretend as if you're pushing the trolley through the wall. <laughs> so it's real. You can really find it. I like how the real uh, train riders like, what is this? <laughs> Do not want yes. it's yeah. funny. It's funny the first morning but then <laughs> the second through 100th morning that you're late for your train it's not funny yeah. right i have to go to cambridge school of actually <laughs> learning things so <laughs> so i'm gonna take it down a little, like we talked about delightful crazy bikes wizardry and, and wizardry. horses yeah and wizard school and now i'm gonna talk about a disaster oh. in transportation I'm going to talk about the Hindenburg. Uh, obviously, I think what you're talking about is that it ex- caught on flames and exploded upon landing in New Jersey, famously and horrifically mm. to all of the onlookers. And it just... Did we- everybody die? Not everybody. Oh. But a lot of people. So the Hindenburg is a kind of rigid airship, otherwise known as a blimp. Do you guys know who made the Hindenburg? Mr. Hindenburg? No. It was, uh, was it the Zeppelin works? Zeppelin, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was named after um, the president of Germany who served between 1925 and 1934. Do you know what Joseph Goebbels wanted to name the Hindenburg? <sighs> Something really nationalistic, I'm sure. The German Eagle. Adolf Hitler. Oh, it was oh, almost oh, named no. Adolf, Adolf Hitler. Hitler. Sorry, yeah. I, I, meant, I meant sycophantic is what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> so the Hindenburg was almost named Adolf, Adolf Hitler. Hitler. The prettiest girl in the world. <laughs> S.S. Adolf. It's like Forrest Gump writing Jenny on the back of his boat. He's just like got a black paint Adolf. So basically blimps at that time were filled with helium, which is a safe gas. It, it has a lot of lift. They put it in balloons. It's not flammable. Mm-hmm. So it's very safe to use that. Huh. But it, the main place where helium was created and exported 
exported from was the United States. That's where we could mine it from our natural resources. But there were a bunch of embargoes on exporting helium to Germany where they were building this. They built it to work with helium at first. And they're like, oh, it's cool. It'll be fine <laughs> by the time we're done. And by the time they were done, they still couldn't still have any more no helium. helium. It, it was just not, it was too expensive. So they were like, we'll use hydrogen, which basically any industrialized nation could make. Mm-hmm. And it's cheap. But the trick with it is is that it's very flammable. Right. So they were like, well, we'll figure out how to make it safe. It'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> very, wink. Very hand-wavy solution. Yeah. Just as long as nothing goes wrong. When it first did its test flight, it had the Olympic rings on it. And they, were, they flew it over the Olympics um, in Berlin in 1936. And it, it went across the ocean and back. It went to South America. And it was quite luxurious, right? It, it was really fancy. They had a piano in it for a second. And then they were like, oh, this is kind of heavy for <laughs> so they took it out. <laughs> this is a little show-offy. Hey, the yeah. piano in the bowling alley. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was really used for Nazi propaganda, though. They would fly it around and fly it over cities to show like the air power and the, the Nazi. The marvel. Yes. But the thing with it is that it's light. Hydrogen's the lightest gas. In a windstorm, could really get whipped around. And mm. that happened to it a few times. Each time this so happens, it's just times. like, oh, is it going to explode yeah. this time? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it seemed like it happened really suddenly. So there are a lot of theories about what happened with it when it exploded. But basically, they think that the hydrogen mixed with the air, and if it mixes with oxygen and the ambient air in a certain percentage, it'll just catch a light. And that's why mm. hydrogen blimps were kind of a bad idea. And they Which is were... why they tried to use oh, helium. It's not even instead. because like no. some dude decides that, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna have a cigarette on here. or Probably not. They're, they're not 100% a sure. They're yeah. not 100% sure. And I remember you know learning some of this even very recently that it's it was obviously very unstable but that the coating on the fabric was also implicated in terms of just being an accelerant like once it started it really helped spread man who hired these people (laughs) who hired these people well I think it's I mean as Dana says though if it wasn't designed to be used with hydrogen you know originally then it seems like yeah it wasn't really like they were taking these precautions when they first built it they're like well 14 months went by it didn't explode until 1937 so it was like Right, right. I guess it's fine. Look, we know how to work with hydrogen. You convince it's yourself cool. it's safe. Yeah, even yeah. if it starts off unsafe, the longer it's successful, you're like, okay, it's fine. We, got this. we should make more of these. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And then we got this. You why did we ever worry about yeah. this? So I have some interesting facts about air travel, and this is kind of compiled from there are a lot of books uh, by flight attendants, not really tell alls, but kind mm, of like, like the sharing their stories. Story. Yeah, and, and so I have a quick few facts here. First off, don't piss a flight attendant off. One of the most popular <laughs> things they do mm-hmm. to kind of, uh, quote, get back at you is they would do something simple like overfilling your coffee cup when they give you coffee <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. really hard not to spill on yourself. So mm-hmm. make sure mm-hmm. you're nice to them. So this is so weird. So what happens if someone actually dies on oh. a plane? Singapore Airlines is is prepared for this situation. Their planes actually feature a corpse cupboard. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. So it's not just sitting on like <laughs> yeah. a seat. So they put them in a giant air sickness bag and then into the <laughs> And here's a tip, a common tip from flight attendants. If you suffer from motion sickness, 
like me, you should book a seat as close to the front of the plane as possible because there's actually uh, less turbulence up front as opposed to to the back section, which actually tends to get、mm. very bumpy. And there's another secret, and and this is a secret that I actually well I don't even secret, but I I do all the time. <laughs> there's a secret menu. Most airlines they have a secret menu, and this basically it's kind of like dietary restrictions. So、mm-hmm. if you're diabetic, or if you're vegetarian, or halal,、mm-hmm. or kosher. Any, And often these meals they're prepared with more care,、right. so they actually taste better than the normal food. I've、yes. definitely heard that on the Traveler Pro tips is、yep. even if you're not vegetarian or kosher, is order the vegetarian or the kosher meal because it's fresh and yep, it tastes yeah, better. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And why? I want to ask guys. So obviously, airplane food not very popular among most people. Well, <laughs> well, the thing is that airplane food, you know, is kind of going away. Like you know,、mm-hmm. it used to be where you'd get on a flight, and if the flight was longer than whatever hours. It's like, oh, we'll serve you lunch. We'll、right. serve you dinner.、Right. They don't do that anymore. Like、mm-hmm. by and large, unless you're on an international flight, they don't just serve you a meal anymore. Like it's one of the easiest things to cut costs. Yeah. Oh, it totally yeah. is. Yeah. It's like I don't want to eat this food. It's like it's junk. I'm just eating it because it's here in front of me. So why does most airplane food taste bad? It's not necessarily because the food itself is bad. It really is because of the the high pressure cabin and and being at that altitude. Yeah. And the planes inside have really really low humidity, really low.、Huh. And so of course. Scientific study said it seems like you lose twenty percent of your taste buds. It almost、oh. feels that way. The saliva <laughs> reduces the water content because it's so dry,、huh. and so it's more concentrated. And you have problems of actually tasting some of the taste, such as like the salt or the sweet.、Mm. You actually don't taste that as well. In addition, and the dry air from the air conditioning actually dries up your nose, and so then your sense of smell is also right, altered. And、right. you know a lot of the flavors and Taste that when you eat food, most of it is, comes yeah, from your smell. Wow, comes from your I didn't know that.、Smell. I had no idea. So all with all of those factors come into play when you eat food at that altitude in that situation. It's, it's just not going to be good no、it's、matter what. It's not going to taste good. But there is a flip side of this: is that your tolerance for alcohol actually drops、oh, yeah. about thirty、oh, yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you're at that altitude, about like thirty thirty thousand feet, so a few drinks will go a very long、yeah. way. Your、yeah. food's not gonna taste、it's、good, pretty,、yeah. but well, like yeah. And also, of course, and I didn't know this, and it makes so much sense. There are some airlines that have stated the pilot crew they have to eat separate meals just to minimize the risk of、um. getting food poison or being ill. <laughs> That's so interesting. They each have to eat a different meal because just in case, just in case yeah. something is tainted across all the meals. Yeah, one of the best airline flight experiences I, or food experiences I ever had was actually it was it was a recent I think flight to、uh, Japan, and I was it was at the end of the flight. Like I had just tried to sleep but couldn't. You know, it was like morning ish. You know, and I'm just like we're about to land, and I'm just so out of it. They wheel the food by, and the flight attendant is just like, "Hi, bibimbabes," and I'm, and I'm just like, "What?"、Well, I kind of like, did she just say bibimbap? And I、oh. open the thing, and it's bibimbap, that wonderful hot Korean sort of rice bowl dish with rice and spicy sauce and meat, and and it was a Japan Airlines flight, so it was like really top quality stuff, and it was so good. Snapped me out of my. I've just been in an airplane for ten hours doldrums on the ground. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I would not be surprised if Japan did not have like its top scientists working on airline food <laughs> to try to counteract all of those、mm-hmm. things that you were、yeah. talking about. I would not be. Surprise at all!、Yeah. All right, in the spirit of our transportation theme, I'm going to bring back a quiz segment I did before called "Who."
whose ride is it anyway? Ah, yes. A perfect fit. Yes. So I will be naming the famous writer, either from literature, TV shows, or in, in real life or in history, and you have to tell me the proper name of their famous ride. Whoa, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Ready? Um, yes. Here we go. Gilligan. The minnow. Wrong. The SS minnow. Correct. The SS minnow. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Harry Potter. Many there are many choices yeah. for Harry Potter. Um, but there's I'm one a, iconic one. I bet the the Nimbus 2000. The Firebolt is his best one though. All right, Fred Jones. Oh. The mystery machine. Yeah. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that, of course, is Fred from Scooby-Doo. Yes, yeah. he's actually the one who's driving the mystery machine. <laughs> Charles Darwin. Oh. oh. Dana. The Beagle. The, the... Actually, it's HMS Beagle. <laughs> HMS Beagle. Yeah. Uh. All right. Ghostbusters. It's the Ecto-1. Correct. Nice. Ecto-1. Very nice. Very nice. The Lone Ranger. Silver. Correct. Oh, yeah. Hi, Silver. Yeah. Not Tonto. No. He's not. <laughs> that was that's, that's Only after a long night of drinking. And they don't like to talk about that. Yeah. Tonto lost a bet. It's, it's all, yeah. <laughs> all right. Morpheus. Oh, uh, oh, it's a nice what car. Is the it, name oh, of the oh thing. gosh, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. If You're I talking about from Matrix. Yes, yeah. yeah. the, with the from doors Matrix. that open. Gosh, yeah, they have the, the whole. I don't yeah. know. I remember. It's uh, Neba. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, okay. right. I was that's thinking right. of his cool car. Yeah, that's right. The Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Taranga Leela. Oh. oh. It's the Planet delivery. Express yeah. ship, right? Yep, yeah. Planet Express. Oh, like okay. delivery pizza. From, I don't know. <laughs> from Futurama. From yeah. Futurama. All right, good job, everybody. Who's right. right is it anyways? Skeletor. <laughs> Who wrote Skeletor? Oh, wait. What, oh, what did he write? Battle Cat? No, that's He-Man. That was He-Man. It was also a cat. Yeah, it was another cat. Um, Lionel. <gasps> <laughs> no, again, be, only was it like awesome, was it only okay. after a few beast drinks? Something beast cat? I don't no, cannot no. remember. Panthor, not to be confused with right, Panthro. Like, from yes, the yeah. from the Thundercats. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> close. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So we were talking about fake trains earlier. I'd like to go back a little bit and set Excuse the ground me. with uh, with the Hogwarts real Express train. really exists. Railroads, you know, I mean, one of the most just transformative ways of traveling, probably. I mean, up there with airplanes. And reading about the early history of railroads, uh, specifically in the U.S., is just so fascinating to me because you know you keep in mind like until trains came along, you know, horses were pretty much the fastest thing that a person would be on, and it was just such a groundbreaking breaking just device that you could get on this conveyance and it would move at a sustained speed it wasn't you know kind of lurching around right you were it was smooth Mm -hmm. and you were literally on rails and just this uniform high speed traveling was just such a novelty to people at the time you know when i say high speed you know this is relative (laughs) again 20 miles an hour (laughs) i would like to read you a quote from uh, 1830 (laughs) and this is from a first-time train passenger describing the voyage we flew on the wings of the wind at the varied speed of 15 to 25 miles per hour annihilating time and space it was like clutching the very coattails of god himself as he Flew around the yes, earth, as you were just turning time backwards across the land <laughs> at the blistering twenty miles an hour. Yeah, so this is what, what high speed was at those times. We're stuck at twenty-five miles an hour in traffic now, and we're angry. You know, it's <laughs> I should be flying at seventy, clutched in the talons of the mighty eagle as it soared from sea to shining sea we were as gods you know what they were just more, more poetic than yeah. back right. then right. oh they, they really so were yeah. Yeah. as evidenced in our in our previous episode about landmarks which you may want to simply go research for the New York Times article that I read uh, much more fanciful you know hitherto unknown speedy way of traveling across the country mm-hmm. had some major implications so this was the first time that people could actually travel quickly enough that you could notice differences in time from place to place. So, you know, up until now, the the idea of synchronized clocks was, there was just no need for it. It was really the twin inventions of the telegraph, you know, which was instantaneous, and the railroad that people started caring about the idea of, you know, we really all need to agree on what time it is in various places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you could travel quickly enough that it mattered. As evidenced by the, uh, the classic problem in the uh, 18th century math book. If a not invented yet train yes. leaves New York <laughs> at eight o'clock and arrives in Central Time Zone at nine, right? How much time has passed? So there, a, yeah, there were no cares? time zones. I mean, you really you you set your time locally depending on the sun. So you know, I mean, up until up until yeah. the 1880s, you know, when it was midnight in New York, it might be 11:47 in Washington and 11:55 in sure. Philadelphia. And it it didn't matter. So it was the railroad companies that were really the first organization that's like, we need to have standardized time. And they would they would need to know if it's a (laughs) certain time at the Baltimore station, what time is it in the New York station? Yeah. So it was the railroad companies that first standardized time across their own systems. So they would have clocks showing here's what time it is at this station, here's what time it is Uh, here. And they would push for it because they needed it for their business to work effectively. So you know you would have it was not uncommon to have 
stations would have one clock showing the station time, another clock showing the local time, and then other clocks showing times on each of the lines that would come into that station. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was just nuts. As a traveler in the 1880s that uh, the National Railway Time Convention basically was all of the railroad companies got together and said, all right, we need to to (laughs) come up with a nationwide system. We need to cooperate. And they came up with the concept of time zones. And Mm -hmm. so this is where basically more or less the the four major time zones that we have today was more or less what they proposed Mm -hmm. uh, that that they carve up the country into time zones. Thanks to trains. Thanks to trains. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it wasn't, there was no legal governmental backing behind it. It was more just let's all agree to do this. And it really did catch on and it stick. And of course, now it is formalized and governments and and nations all agree to it. But yeah, so it was really railways and the incredible speed that they could travel that really led to time zones. Wow. Say, Colin, we were talking about how trains... Um, you know, initially ran at the amazing speed of 15 to 20 miles Remember that from two minutes ago? <laughs> do you know, yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, do, do you know uh, approximately what the what the fastest passenger train uh, uh, w- would be? You know, I, I should know because I was just on the high-speed rail in France. I want to yeah. say it's around 200 miles an hour. Oh, my it's God. It's actually – so um, a, a test run of a maglev, magnetic levitation, high-speed train in Japan had actually set the absolute world speed record for a train. I think it's even the world ground speed record, basically, excluding, like, rocket, rocket cars. Rocket sleds. Right, yeah. Right. Um, 361 miles per wow. hour. Now, that wow. is a – that is a test – that was not a passenger train or anything right. like that. But – the, the Shinkansen, or the Japanese bullet train, is only a little bit less impressive. Um, when you're traveling on a Shinkansen from Tokyo to Osaka in Japan, you could be going, basically, like, up to around 180 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, Someone needs to write a poem about that. <laughs> I want to, like, transport it the people be... who rode on the first train and right. put them on the Shinkansen and be like, take that. What do you think it now? It should be a haiku. Yeah. I am going fast. <laughs> So uh, in Japan, originally, the railways initially were private rail lines. You know, private companies started building rail lines here and there. And what ended up happening was the government was just sort of like, okay, these things are really important. We're going to nationalize all of them. So the government, you know, essentially by force went and bought all of the private rail lines and basically formed uh, eventually Japan National Railways or or JNR, which I mean, it started kind of in the the 60s. They started laying track for the Shinkansen. A Kansen is just a line made out of tree trunks. Like that's what that means. And Shin just means new. So it really refers to the line that they were laying down. Mm, Not the train itself. Yeah, but it was just this idea idea like let's make a train that goes super fast and it just goes from the tokyo to the osaka area basically as fast as we can as fast as we can make it initially the the ones that they that they got started in the 60s were making this trip in about oh about like four hours um which is awesome because like tokyo and osaka the distance between them first of all if you drive it takes about as long as driving from san francisco to los angeles like Um, six or eight hours yeah it's like it's a little bit less you know like san francisco to los angeles is gonna take you a little upwards of six hours this this would take uh, maybe more around the six-hour mark. The Shinkansen now, the fastest one that you can ride on, is 2.5 hours from Tokyo to Osaka. It has changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can now get up in the morning, you know, as a Japanese business person, get on the train, 
work a whole day in the the other major city and then commute, come back yeah. home at night. Yeah, you can commute. You know, businesses started operating together with this super fast train line. Just dramatically changed like Japanese economics. But the Shinkansen itself, I mean, it all came at a very high price, literally. I mean, like to build the tracks and to build these trains, it was ridiculous ridiculously expensive they spent and and it just became more and more and more brings business yeah right oh yeah oh and it certainly did i mean it definitely it actually did like energize a lot of cities that were you know maybe more inaccessible and so they ran out of money and they actually had to sell off so the japan uh, what was japan national railways is now actually pseudo privatized pseudo governmental um organization They're, they're nominally private companies but they had to break it all up and sell it all off and there's actually it's technically like like, I want to say about seven or eight different companies that run all of the JR, the Japan Railways, lines. Uh, the Shinkansen is a wonderful riding experience. Uh, you want to talk about smooth. I mean, it is yeah. smooth. It's like and- butter. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> like butter. And they, and they roll a cart by with green tea on it, you know, the full experience. And it's just so much better than flying because, like, the seats are huge and reclinable and everything and power, you know. It's also expensive. It costs, it's like taking a plane flight versus mm. taking a train. You know, it's, it really costs, like, well, with today's terrible exchange rate, probably like 150 bucks one way from Tokyo to Osaka. Remember, though, that's, it's like, you know, it's like getting on an airplane. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like SF to LA, it's like $150 flight. That's true. It's expensive commute, yep. though. Daily commute. I know. Uh, um, another interesting tidbit about the Japanese railway system is that there are private lines, and all of these tend to end in department stores. Uh, some of the bigger department stores in Japan are actually were set up by and are owned by the private railway companies, and they would build department stores at the end of the lines, so they'd bring people out from the suburbs right to the taking, destination yeah exactly and you'd want to take that line because that's going to drop you off right at the department store you know and so you can go and go and shop and it was sort of like the train line became the way to get there and what to do once you once you got there another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, well, we're going to close it out here. Uh, I have prepared a little special quiz for you guys. Ooh. And this is a little bit more of a puzzle, I suppose, than a straight trivia quiz. We have some wordplay involved. It seems, yeah! to go, yeah! it seems to go over well the last time we had some of these. So <laughs> this quiz is called One Letter Off. Okay. And okay. the conceit is that I'm going to be giving you pairs of things, and the answers are going to be one letter off from one another. So, for mm-hmm. example, the words fog and dog are one letter off mm-hmm. because you change one letter to get to the other word. Okay. Done. So we'll, so we'll start with some easy ones here to get the flavor of it. Mm-hmm. And now I do want to remind you this can be words at the beginning or somewhere in the middle of the word. Oh, a God. brass orchestra instrument and a Caribbean island nation. A brass instrument and a Caribbean island nation. Chris. Tuba and Cuba. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. So I think I think you get it now. Yeah. That's right. Cuba okay. and Tuba. An original punk band and an original superhero. Chris again. Clash and Flash. That's right. Oh, Clash you're good. And Flash. All right. So we'll now keep in mind it may it, uh, it might get harder. It might okay. get harder. All okay. right. A large water dwelling creature. 
and a type of comics created in Japan. I'll give you a hint. They both start with the same letter. Chris. Manta and manga? Correct. Okay. Oh! Manta and manga. Oh, M-A-N-T-A. I got the manga part, though. Yeah, we had to work backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you get one and hook into the other one. To lightly color and to lightly burn. Karen. Tinge and singe. Correct. Wow. Tinge and singe. Very good. All right. We got a couple couple trickier ones here. So, all right. A household servant and a military musician. Military musician. Butler and bugler. Correct. Butler and bugler. Good job. All right. I was thinking maid. Ah. maid. Uh I'm trying to be a little tricky here with some of them. Okay. (laughs) A type of dark beer and a classic form of advertising. A type of dark beer and a... Stout and scout? Uh, Not bad, not bad, but no, that's not what I'm looking for. (laughs) A type of dark beer... Oh, that just rhymes. And a classic form of advertising. I'll give you a hint. They both... Yes, Chris. Porter and Poster. Yes. Chris Chris and I are just on the same wavelength with this one. Yes, that's right. Ah, very good. All right. Wow, that was tough. And as a little uh, carryover challenge for our listeners, uh, I'm going to read read out another problem here. And this will be, uh, as I say, a challenge for the listener. You guys can go ahead and think about it. And if you have what you think is the right answer, go ahead and email it to gjb.podcast at gmail.com. We'll pick a couple winners from the correct pile and we'll send you a cool mini swag pack. All right. All right, so to make this one a little bit more challenging, there are this is a triplet instead of a pair. Oh. So I'm going to read, there are three words we're looking for in the answer, and the three words vary by changing one letter in the same position. So this is not it, but you could say flog, clog, and blog. That might fit. So it's the same position letter being changed. Mm-hmm. All okay. right. These are the three things. Mm-hmm. A light coating, a clearing in the woods... And a bright light. So three things. A light coating, a clearing in the woods, and a bright light. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. I'm confident. I'm confident that our listeners... I'm confident that many of our listeners will be able to tackle that. All right. And that is our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. I hope you guys learned a lot about... Trains, planes, and automobiles. Yay. Except for that last one. (laughs) Velociraptors. You can find us on Zoom Marketplace, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and also on our website, which is goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsor, bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. all trivia nerds Brittany here and i host the family road trip trivia podcast with my best friend meredith is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest <laughs> we've got the cure three rounds of awesome trivia every week harry potter disney science sports you name it no more silent car troubles the family road trip trivia podcast connect laugh and learn with your kids big and small <laughs> New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.